You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross joining you along with Father Jason Leffer. And we are about to dive into our Straight Talk segment where we are going to hear from you. And uh, we invite you to bring your questions about uh, anything you may have been curious about regarding the faith, uh, whether it be in uh, current events or relationships, whatever comes to mind, 877-795-0122. is that number. Yeah, and... That- you know, I want to get us started here. I'm I'm all happy and excited to talk about something this morning here. So it's Wonderful. the, the uh, well, Saint Nicholas. Okay, but in a roundabout way to get to Saint Nicholas and why would we be talking about him in October? The uh, so I'm from Saint uh, John Nepomucene up in Pisic, North Dakota. Right? We're in Walsh, the heart of Walsh County or Western Walsh County, right. and we're we're a little different right now because uh, we're celebrating our county fair right now and i know whenever i tell people this like what it's it's the middle of october well it has to do with the history of their potato country yes when the potato harvest was over then they'd have their county fair and so our kids they're not at the diocesan junior high youth retreat this weekend because they're all doing their 4-h projects and everything at the fair and it's it's a really big time up there it also coincides with ta-da the j-mart in Pisic, North Dakota, guess what, Father Gross? The annual candy Christmas candy yes, sale. Yes, the, the candy is all in. The candy is there. The tons and Wonderful. tons of candy is there. And, and what people, the smart people realize they don't wait until December. They come early because all the good stuff goes early because that's what everybody wants. So now, in in terms of just inventory has arrived, or is there a certain time where it gets, um, everything gets set up and put out? I would say probably, by now for sure, 80%, 90% of all the candy is out in there and wow. available. So okay. this is the time to strike for all the, all the listeners. Isn't that area. something? Yeah, Here, I would have assumed it was just like maybe after Thanksgiving. Well, think, well, think about Halloween coming up. You know, oh, you need, you need candy. So this is strike what's Enterprising. hot. Enterprising. Yes. You, you yes. can't even walk in the store without smelling all this oh, chocolate and everything. That intoxicating so sugar Absolutely. Uh, coma, so, yes. <laughs> okay, which makes us think of St. Nicholas. And there's a huge right. headline across the Catholic sphere today. Um, they found the original tomb of St. Nicholas. Okay, they... Now, people might be listening, what, St. Nicholas? A tomb? What, what's going on here? Okay, to put it in context, if anybody knows, uh, say, for example, St. Clement's of St. Clement of Rome... The church in Rome is called St. Clement of Rome. This, this would be a way to think of it if you know about it or you can even look it up. But So they have the modern church up above and they excavated and they found a church below and they excavated found a church below and they excavated found the original street of Rome and the, and the house of St. Clement who is the third pope I believe, right? Third yeah. or fourth? Yeah, third pope. Third. And, um, yeah, the fourth, Linus well, Cletus and Cle- Clement. Okay, there we go. And uh, and uh, and the the Temple of Mithra. We have all his writings, and and it all lines up. And just it's incredible. So if you ever if you ever go to Rome, go to the Colosseum. When you see the Colosseum right there in the neighborhood, right off, like a quarter mile away, Saint Clement of Rome. Uh, it's the body the the body of uh, Saint Cyril. Is is up above. You can uh, go and and see his his remains, and then you go through the history, the, gener- the, the decades and centuries of the Catholic and the Christian faith all the way down to the street level of Rome. It's fantastic. I mean, it just, it's incredible. Now, I say all that 
because similar thing has happened here in, in Turkey, where that's where St. Nicholas, the, who we think of as Santa Claus, is where he's originally from. Early 4th century, I think, that time Exactly. Frame. And uh, many stories about him. I encourage people to, to look him up. But they were doing some excavation. It was very similar. They, there's a modern-day thing up above, and they went down and found a church. And then they dug down even deeper, and they found the original street level and the actual original floor of the original church that was put there that was built over the tomb of St. Nicholas. Okay, and now they're still, it's still so recent that they haven't quite opened it up yet and all this, but they do know that his, his relics are probably not there because they were transferred and they have... To the city of Bari, uh, port city along the Adriatic Sea in southern Italy. Exactly, and so they, and that's all documented, we know that that's, for, but they're very, very excited to open it up and they think there might be some things in there. Father Gross, what do you think might be in the tomb of St. Nicholas when they open it up? <laughs> maybe, might there uh, be some gold coins left yes, in there? Yes, yes, maybe a sack or two, because he was still willing to help more people. And <laughs> right, so the tradition on that, right, he would he'd gather up a collection for, mm-hmm. for as a dowry to help peasant women to establish... So that they might not end up in uh, ill repute or what have you, so that they could be properly married off. So yes. he's known for giving out gold, gold coins and different things, and really that's why it's tied in with giving a gift you know, mm-hmm. at, in the Christmas season and so forth. Yeah, so. yeah, whereas a lot of, in a lot of, I guess, what is now where the Orthodox Church would be, Epiphany is kind of the primary uh, solemnity of gift-giving. Um, in Western Europe with the uh, Sinterklaas and uh, the, uh, I think, through um, Dutch and, you know, Holland, uh, some of those in, in more Germanic places, it kind of got shifted to the amalgamation of St. Nicholas with this figure in terms of giving gifts. And who knows, maybe there's some lumps of coal in there as well. Yeah. I don't know, is it gold or coal? So anyway. But just very quickly, let's you know talk about the the whole factor and, and of um, uh, like archaeology and living in a place where there are layers of things. You know, around here, if you're celebrating a hundred twenty fifth, hundred fiftieth anniversary of anything, it seems you know relatively ancient and pretty prominent. But these parts of the world where you have multiple centuries of civilization, and, and just to help people understand why that would even be, because it's hard for us to grasp that. Like, what are you talking? You know, well, what would happen in the old days? Like. Y- y- let's say our our church is old and we need to build a new one they would level it and they would use the remains of the old church to to put it down and pack it down for a new foundation and so they would they would do this thing where they'd fill in and build up on top and and literally the whole city around them this is what they did they'd they'd level the old temples f- use it as foundational stones and then they would build up above and that's that's why these layers are there and you can go down and discover them mm-hmm. and i think Maybe the overarching thing that's so important about this, why I get so excited about this, it shows, like, the God that we worship, our religion, Father Gross, it's historical. It's within time. God, the the second person of the Trinity, became flesh. Incarnational. Incarnational. A certain place, a certain time, a certain people, a certain culture, a certain race, a certain language. You know, in other words, our God came into time, and all, whether it's in Turkey or in Rome or in... Grand Forks, North Dakota, their paving stones we were talking about this morning, y- you can go back and you can demonstrate the reality and the existence of our faith and you can verify like all these, these stories. Like You can verify that St. Nicholas was a real person. His tomb exists. Yeah. This isn't just myth that we make up or stories for children. Mm-hmm. And our, our whole faith is like this. You can, right. And so when you're, when you're dealing with other faiths and other religions, that's why, for example, uh, my discussion with Mormons, for example, I will always take them to the historical, well, well, take me to your historical beginning. Where did that start? Where's the history? Where's your archaeology? Where's your, you know, and things like, just getting people to think. And, and that's, that's why we have such confidence, like, in our Catholic faith. We, 
it's recorded, it's historical, there it is, you can point to it. Right, we're, there's we, that sense of rootedness. And mm -hmm. the word tradis, traditio, tradition, it means from one hand to the next, right? Mm -hmm. From one hand to the mm -hmm. one generation to the next. Right, to hand down. So, um, again, the number 877-795-0122. You can also leave questions on our Facebook page, A Real Presence Radio. And uh, we do have a couple of callers that we need to get to. Let's first of all talk to Gene from Rapid City. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Oh, sorry about that. Um, yes, Jean is not currently on the phone, but I'm going to read the content of her uh, question here. I have a co-worker who is Lutheran, she says. We were talking. He said he's not afraid to die because he'll go to heaven. He's afraid of being in heaven and seeing the pain of his family on earth and what they are going through and feeling pain that he can't help them. He just has to watch them suffer. What can I tell him? So... It's one of those things where I guess we need to um, kind of unpack a couple of different things about that. Which side of that would you want to kind of take on first? Okay, here, l l let's take a detail here in the beginning where it, okay, so this gentleman that she's relating to, he says with confidence, he's not afri afraid to die because he'll go to heaven. I, I, I want to take that, and he's identified here as Lutheran, and a lot of people might not know this, but uh Obviously, the, the Lutheran expression of Christianity was inspired by Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, who then broke with the Catholic Church. But Martin Luther himself, in his, his own personal journey, he struggled tremendously with having a peace of conscience. And one of the things that he was always fighting for was he wanted certainty, to know for certainty that he was saved, that he's going to heaven. And so I, I find it interesting that here, here's this Lutheran person who is saying, I have, I have, no, I have absolute confidence I'm going to heaven, when at the, at the heart of the Lutheran faith, that, that, that is one of the... the metaphysical struggles that was it, it's it's in actually in lutheran theology and it's 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 traceable through that so uh, the first thing that just strikes your father father gross is that this person is confident that they're going to heaven so um i i'd say well i'm not going to try to tell somebody they shouldn't be confident that they're going to heaven but i, I would start by saying Oh, okay, well, the first part of this is we to have a healthy relationship with the lord is to say like saint paul says i do not judge myself only the Lord Jesus, he possessed me, purchased me with his blood. Only he has the right to judge me, and I submit to his judgment in my life. I work on having faith, which is, uh, I believe in Christ, and I believe and come under his authority. And the redemption that he has won is the rock-solid, reliable thing, but he has created us in such a way where he wants us to give that gift of love and return in a free way, where, heaven forbid, we could choose not to do yeah. so. And our business at every every moment of our waking lives is to say, I choose Jesus Christ. I come under his... And it, it, it's not your or my business to... It's not. Our, it's God's business whether we're going to heaven or not. It's our business to be faithful, working out our salvation, as St. Paul says, mm -hmm. in fear and trembling, and it's about relationship. Yeah. We, st we, we remain in relationship. So that, that's very important. So maybe let's think the best here. And this gentleman, he knows he has a living relationship with Jesus Christ, right. and he's confident and, in and, salvation. And the context of the question really is about what it will be like for someone who is in heaven who may have revelations of the difficulties of the church militant, his family who's okay, left behind. Okay, and so the, the next part that strikes me that's interesting about this is I have some friends who are very strong Lutheran ministers and very, very traditional Lutheran theology, and traditional Lutheran theology <clears throat> really struggles with communion of the saints. 
And so, <clears throat> again, I find this interesting, this gentleman, he's actually talking as if he believes in more of a Catholic right. concept of mm -hmm. communion of the saints, where yeah. your relationship in Christ after you die, you have access to the whole body of Christ. Right. Which is... And, and just to say a brief word about it, I think St. Robert Bellarmine was one who really popularized these, this idea of the three degrees of the church. The church triumphant, those who are in heaven. The church suffering, those who are being purified but prior to uh, being able to see the Lord face to face. And the church militant, those of us slogging through our earthly pilgrimage. So some some way somehow this Lutheran gentleman he he is he's living an actual kind of more of a Catholic concept of communion of saints because he's talking about having a relationship in the body of Christ after he's died which we'd say as Catholics yeah we we do believe that and, and it's through the Eucharist and the the Mass at that point where the whole church. A church militant, church triumphant, and church suffering are all united. Right. And, and, you, and we would say you do have access to members of the body of Christ in, in Christ at that moment. And so we, we could agree with that. Now, so as we go on there, and he, he, so here's his fear, okay? He, um, he's afraid of seeing the pain of his loved ones who are not in the state of glory, that they're still on earth. So the, the first thing is this, is... Um, uh, w w again, what strikes me there is, well, perfect love casts out all fear. And if you are in heaven or in glory, um, there is no fear. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, the, the basic answer to this is, even if somehow God allows him to see, he's not going to be experiencing fear. Mm -hmm. and he's not going to be experiencing pain. And that doesn't diminish the problems that on an individual earth. has on earth. Right. right. And so, um, so that's the first thing. And because and we do know for, through mystics and other saints, they, the, there, there, there are these experiences where people will, can communicate. And, um, but, but the actual soul who's in glory, awaiting the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrected body, um, they do not experience f uh, fear or pain, sorrow or deprivation of or any tears. kind. Yeah. Okay, now let, let's say that the, the soul was granted some special privilege to communicate to Earth and their loved ones. Um, that yeah, they, they they would see. Maybe they hear them calling for intercessory prayer. You know, help us in our plight down here. Help us in our suffering. Well. The only way they could obtain that is by being in glory with Christ, relating to Christ perfectly. So, I, how I'm going to really answer this is to say, don't don't wait for the glory of heaven, but rather now on earth while you're here and you do experience fear and you do experience pain and you see the suffering of your loved ones now, um, use that as an opportunity to 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 pray, to intercede, to offer sacrifices for mm -hmm. conversion, to to go in a real human way and relate in a human way and offer comfort, corporal spiritual works of mercy. This is this is our business now down here in this world. And yeah. that that's more that'd be more of a pressing thing. Yep. That should be addressed Al now. Almost three, week, almost three weeks ago, we had the memorial of St. Therese of Lisieux, who famously said in her autobiography, Story of a Soul, that her intention was to spend her heaven doing good on earth, showering roses. And, and I love to return to that thought in terms of how one who is uh, delivered from this life into the next life could intercede for the benefit of others. Um, and, you know, as part of God's mysterious plan, knowing that none of that is wasted, but that he will apply it as needed. So maybe a final word to Jean would be this. First of all, Jean, 
what a beautiful conversation to be having with your coworker. Yes. I, I, ca I can't encourage you enough to have such beautiful conversations. And what a gift that you'd have a friend who's willing to talk about faith and faith matters, especially, you know, a Lutheran and a Catholic. That's beautiful. I just encourage it. That, that, that's so encouraging and so hopeful. And, and then the second thing is, like, receive him where he is and acknowledge it and take it as an invitation or opportunity to say, like, hey, uh, dear coworker, how about we we do something about that now instead of worrying about the future let, let's look what are the corporal works of mercy what are the spiritual works of mercy maybe there's something you could do together that would encourage him to love his family and those who are suffering now in in the name of christ yeah yeah definitely so thank you very much for that question gene that brought up a lot of different um uh tentacles you might say of uh kind of responding to those general concerns and we certainly will keep your coworker uh, in our prayers as uh he is uh, working through those issues um there is another question that a caller had brought up and they are wondering if the showbread of the old testament is the prefigurement of the eucharist today and i just before we kind of dive into an answer to that i want to preface it with a couple of references there is um, uh, there were some references of various uh, elements provided within the temple, especially with regard to King David when he and his men were hungry and they didn't have anything to eat. And then the context in which Jesus refers to that particular circumstance is uh, where um, some of his disciples are picking heads of grain off of uh, you know um, in a, as they're walking near a, a field uh, on the Sabbath and eating the grain. And Pharisees were you know coming down heavily on them, you know, this is forbidden by the law, and in order to, um, not to cover for them, but to respond to that complaint, Jesus said, you know, have you never read what David did when he and his men were hungry, and, you know, that uh, it, it, you are uh, condemning these uh, men without cause, uh, because the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the primary context in which he speaks about it there. In terms of a, a prefigurement of the Eucharist, any thoughts that come to your mind about that, Father Leffer? Yeah, so the, the, the first thought is this. We're in these three years where the bishops are calling the whole church universal to to re-examine our relationship with the eucharistic lord and what that yes. means and and so so um i'd say this is great that we're asking a question about the eucharist so that triggers all that like you know wh what are we doing here um and and, I, and i'd say you know okay number one any question that we're going to answer about the eucharist um i'd encourage people to i would even promote or propose that it's impossible to have a healthy relationship with the Eucharistic Lord if you don't have a healthy relationship with the, the, the divine person, Jesus Christ, right? The, it goes hand in hand. Um, okay, I, I say that then, and we, and we say like, so now if, if Father Gross, if we went and we looked at, we, we could start with the book of Genesis, and if we go through the whole Testament, almost every chapter you're going to find some prefigurement of the Eucharist. And now, and the Eucharist, now that's a big, that, are we talking specifically about the host itself, the, the bread, are we talking about the sacrifice, are we talking about the communion, are we talking about the meal? See, it, it's, it's very, very right. broad. But you start all the way back there, uh, Cain and Abel. One was the keeper of the flocks, one was the keeper of the, the grain, mm -hmm. right? It, you get to Melchizedek, right? There's the, the he makes an offering of bread and wine, wine right yep. and, mm -hmm. and and literally you can trace these elements from the beginning of the book of genesis all the way through mm -hmm. okay and then i would say the other thing and this was i just did this here the other day this is interesting i challenge the readers to do this go start with genesis and look up the verb to eat our whole 
Original sin was, before original sin, God's talking to them what they can eat. Original sin came through eating. Then as soon as, as, soon as that, then God is worried or helping the people figure out what they can eat. There, there's always this, there's always this all the way through, there's this fear and anxiety and, and it has to do with eating. And somehow mm-hmm. our salvation is around the eating. And so, yeah. like even just hearing the word showbread, it kind of makes me hungry because you're thinking about walking by a window of a bakery and you yeah, see exactly. the showbread. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know. And it, it was there to, and it's, it's one of the sacrificial offerings at the temple that was asked of the people. Mm-hmm. And it reminds them how God brought manna from heaven. Right, yeah. and so there's there's this connection between eating what we can eat, what we shouldn't eat, what we're allowed to eat, the Eucharist, the bread, the showbread. So, so yes, this mm-hmm. this definitely is right. a prefigurement of right. Eucharist. What I would say is that the uh, preeminent foreshadowing, you might say, throughout the Old Testament, of course, is in the uh, Passover in the Book of Exodus, where everyone is called to participate in this Passover meal, including you know the the um, year old lamb without a male without blemish the unleavened bread and you know the various other components that consist of that so that's one of the first places where i'm going where you know i i, I like what you're saying about uh, the showbread as a reminder of the uh, the providence of god for the people in their 40-year pilgrimage of manna you know that it may be a more direct tie to that but yes if a person looks at in a, from from a typological standpoint there are so many different preparations for the eucharist by the time we get to the ministry of jesus and you know and if you think of the whole thing like if if we go forward to the last supper for example so take holy thursday and good friday like think about how how awesome our god's imagination is how he has this ability to take holy thursday which is a meal and to take bread and wine and associate that with obviously eating and then the next day, the, the sacrifice of the lamb at the temple, but the sacrifice of Christ, his body, blood, soul, and divinity on the cross, the suffering, death, and resurrection. I mean, how, Father Gross, you and I in a, in a million years can come up with, if, you, if we're told all these elements, we could not come up with how God has taken these signs and symbols and turned them into reality for us to receive. And how marvelously he brings that down into even our modern day expression of going to Mass, mm-hmm. where we... This this is this becomes reality for us by worshiping at the holy sacrifice of the mass. I mean, it just. I always say right. being Catholic is so exciting. It's such an adventure. You you cannot you can't exhaust the levels of meaning and mm-hmm. understanding here. And so when the bishops say, "Hey, let's spend three years examining mm-hmm. our relationship with the Eucharist, growing in, in understanding, knowledge, and devotion, and expression of worship and devotion to the Eucharist," like. Let's take advantage of this, people. Yes. Let's let's call on the Holy Spirit and let's say, let's start today. Let's not wait another day. Let, let's go and because they, they did the survey that said that your basic person in the pew doesn't even believe anymore, you know. And like, okay, then then let's start today. As all of our listeners, Father Gross, you and I, let's today. Let's commit to okay today. I want to grow in my knowledge, my relationship, my understanding, of the, the personal divine person Jesus Christ and the Eucharistic Lord. And just like the showbread, it, it triggers for us thoughts about the Eucharist, Lord, I give you permission. Lead, lead us down this adventure, this journey mm-hmm. to a deeper, right. intimate relationship. I'm also thinking of that very often quoted phrase from the Second Vatican Council, Sacrosanctum Concilium and the Liturgy, calling the faithful to full, conscious, and active participation in the liturgy. Well, the, uh, the, the preparation of our hearts and being properly disposed to receive our Lord Jesus, body and soul, you know, body, blood, soul, and divinity in this gift, in this sacrament, 
sacrament of the Eucharist is, uh, you know, the, the manifestation of that, where it's not just something passive or remote, where it has to be completely a, you know, um, uh, a conceptual thing just within one's mind, but it is that external participation. And that's, uh, that, that's what the uh, bishops in the United States are, uh, you know, um, urging people to, uh, to recapture in the Eucharistic revival. You know, in recent years, in September, we had this opportunity. The Diocese of Fargo had the Eucharistic Conference. We brought together, and Bishop Folda was there, and Bishop Cousins came and gave a dynamic address. We had a number of lay speakers, well, just very, very inspiring. Mm-hmm. And we were there, and there's this moment where we, as a people, uh, the bishop was there, priests were there, the laity were there. We celebrated Mass. And then it, it led to instruction, and it led to Eucharistic adoration. And then uh, Mary um, Healy. Healy led us in uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the Eucharistic adoration for healing. And here we are, we had 1,100 people in this room. And you're, so you're experiencing Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, communion, the Eucharist, worship, devotion, and the Holy Spirit coming, not, and God not just feeding his people, but healing them. And, and literally as she went through and called on the Holy Spirit and so forth, with Bishop Fulda there holding the Eucharist, walking through, I said, as you experience healing, please stand up and identify that you're being healed. And there was these dozens and dozens and dozens of people who were coming up and then they were giving testimony I, I was healed of my arthritis. I was healed of this. I was healed of this. Sorry, I mean, powerful. So, so the, these miracles and things with the Eucharist and the reality of the Eucharist, it's not just something from 2,000 years ago. And it's not just something that we hope to see one day in heaven. Or It's, it's right here now. Our, our faith is very tangible. It's very right. sacramental. Right. right. And those who participate in an event like the Redeemed Conference that we had a couple of weeks ago, um, it is up to us, wherever we find ourselves now, to allow the Lord to use us so that the fruits of that can continue to be evident, you know, within the context of our uh, within the context of our own lives. So thank you very much to our listeners who left those questions for us um, on uh, this uh, episode of Straight Talk. And um, a reminder of uh, the, the, the wonderful pre-sale, you might say, of candy at uh, the J-Mart in Pizek. We also pray for the intercession of St. Nicholas. Also on Saturday is the memorial of Pope St. John Paul II. And so maybe toward the end of next hour, we'll just share a couple of very brief thoughts about how his legacy continues to impact us. Um, Father Leffer and I of the the Gen X kind of generation and from that same kind of time frame, I know speaking for myself, he became uh, Pope when I started kindergarten and uh, he passed away about six years into our ordination. So there was that, uh, there is that connection uh, of, uh, you know, of our lifetimes, essentially. Yes. yes. And um, that, uh, that great visit that he made, I believe that was in um, uh, January 99 to St. Louis yes. as he was on his way to Mexico to uh, beatify Juan Diego. Um, yeah. Power- powerful memories and with these great saints that God raises up for us. Exactly. And then there's so, so many more that, um, uh, that, that we couldn't even begin to have time to mention, but in particular, we're thinking of that at this time of year. Well, we're wrapping things up for our first hour, so please stay with us as we hear from, uh, from someone from Wyoming uh, telling us about uh, the new evangelization happening in their neck of the woods. You're listening to Straight Talk, you're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be right back after this. 